Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum. We are four days away from the start of spring practice. On Sunday, Dino Babers will begin his fifth spring ball as the head coach at Syracuse. And he's got two new coordinators, so it's going to be a busy time. Uh, we recorded about a week and a half ago and talked a lot about the defense. So today we're going to focus our spring preview mostly on offense, but we've also got a ton of Twitter questions that are obviously going to cover both sides of the ball and, and probably little special teams too. So we're excited to finally take a look at this. Syracuse has updated its roster. No real surprises there, but it just kind of feels like Things are finally moving again. You know, the staff list was set. The roster is set. We don't have a, a pre-spring two-deep depth chart yet. I would expect that to come out in the next couple days. Uh, but we kind of know what to expect. So it, it's fun to finally be able to talk about it. We're going to dive into all that in a second. Before we do that, I need you guys to go subscribe. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, whatever you listen to your podcasts on, please subscribe, give us five stars, You know, share our shows, whatever you can do to get the word out there to other Syracuse football fans that, uh, that Stephen Bailey and Julian Wiggum are talking shop again. Please do it. All right, let's dive in here. I think it's going to be a really interesting spring for the offense. Sterling Gilbert hired as offensive coordinator. Mike Lynch staying on staff. He's been the OC or co-OC the last four years. He's just going to be running backs coach now. Uh, but it's an interesting time. You, you've got a new face kind of in that in that room of, of putting ideas and concepts together and, and putting them into place with the team. Uh, you've got some significant personnel changes. Tristan Jackson gone. Evan Adams, your right guard, is gone. Moniel is gone. What are you looking to see from the offense this spring, Julian? What do you think they can do to to take that first step forward toward 2020? Yeah, so natural questions about the offense is who's going to step up at this position, uh, who's going to replace this guy, uh, what can we expect from X player, and there's a lot of focus on individual players, a lot of people's favorite players, um, and new faces that are going to be uh, contributing to the upcoming season, right? Um, And looking at the roster and considering what happened last year and thinking about my own time at Syracuse and then just watching the broader football world, both in college and the NFL, um, and even considering recruiting a bit, um, taking all that, you know, into uh, just processing it, uh, my thought for this spring practice, these spring practices, especially uh, for the offensive side of the ball, um, I'm looking at the roster and I'm like, you know, I'm not seeing any one particular guy that's just going to all of a sudden break out and save Syracuse football. I don't really see a Steve Ishmael uh, on the roster. Mind you, Taj Harris is a phenomenal wide receiver. I hope he steps up as a number one this year and really, you know, commands that role and fills that gap year uh, of all American wide receivers uh, at Syracuse. But um, I'm just looking at this roster. I don't think there's a special, special guy who's going to blow it open for the team this year. But... But I've seen some things, uh, just considering both the NFL and college, uh, that make me think, you know what, there are some things Syracuse can do schematically that may improve their chances of winning football games. One, looking at the NFL, and then at college, motion on offense. Using your receivers to find ways to create mismatches on defense. If you consider Syracuse's recruiting uh, rankings, they're usually in the mid-50s to uh, early 60s, and you're going to realize they're, they're not going to be the most talented guy uh, lining up across from another. You, you know, you got to take that talent element out of there and find a way schematically to give yourself an advantage. And looking at, 
the NFL, the 49ers, the Patriots, uh, the Rams, all these teams that are using motion in their offense, they're, they're top teams on third down, they're top teams on first down, and they're just much more effective in the run game as well, which is something that I feel Syracuse could drastically improve on, uh, especially with the offensive line woes that they have, knowing that they have a zone-blocking scheme, which is less so about the talent and more so about being neck up and ready to go. Um, I think this could that could be something that helps them, considering LSU's offense, who obviously has all kinds of talent across the field. The motion, motion on offense is something that made LSU we think about LSU as a team that was running the ball, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette, big offensive lines, you know, that I formation. All of a sudden, they're opening things up. It seems like, oh, they're just a spread offense. But no, motion actually improved their first down percentages, their third down percentages, and their run game percentages uh, in terms of gaining four yards or more. So when I'm looking at Syracuse, just looking for schematic things, I'm hoping to see more of a more pre-snap motion from from the offensive unit, uh, whether that's receivers, running backs, whatever it takes. And then considering when Syracuse has done it, ideally 2016 against Clemson, that was when they ran some of the most motion out of their offense ever. It confused, you, you remember, it confused their Clemson secondary. They tried to play a lot of man, they didn't know what to do, they didn't know how to adjust, and that's what happens when you're a defense, whether you're linebackers or secondary players, you're scrambling constantly trying to figure out how to realign, how to readjust, and where you're supposed to be. And in the college game, that can be very effective because I can tell you from firsthand experience, a lot of guys don't study, especially if they're a superior team. Uh, they, they they just rely on their talent and, you know, would much rather prefer to drink or hang out on a Thursday night than study. So um, I think that in for Syracuse this spring, I hope to see much more pre-step, pre-snap motion from the offense. It's just a tactical advantage uh, schematically from this team. I don't know if there's going to be one guy who all of a sudden takes over. You know, obviously we all hope that Tommy DeVito um, comes together as a quarterback. We hope the offensive line gets better. We hope the run game improves and that someone on the outside takes over. But I think from a coaching perspective, there are some things schematically that they can implement into the offense that will give them a better chance. And so that's what I hope to see uh, from this offense, you know, coming out of the spring. Yeah, that's interesting. I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some of that. I, I certainly think Dino Babers in the last year or so ha- has lended himself more toward that line of thinking, right, that we're not going to be the most talented. And frankly, we don't have the element of surprise anymore. When he came in here... ACC defenses hadn't gone up against what he does, his language, his tendencies. There there was an advantage there. That that Clemson game, for sure. You know he was holding some cards, but once you show up a couple of times, it's a little bit easier to defend for the teams that study, for the coaches that scout well. Sterling Gilbert's going to bring in something a little different. And Dino Baber said in February at his National Signing Day press conference that they actually clash on some ideas. And and he didn't get into specifics because I don't know (laughs) how much resolution there's been on on some of those things. I don't know if that means they're going to try and go really, really fast again. Uh, I don't know if if it means they're going to change certain tendencies. This spring is really when we're going to get our first look at that. Uh, But I agree with you. I think they need to figure out how to make the most out of their pieces. I liked some of the things they did last year, especially with their tight ends. I think they have a really strong tight ends group. Moving Aaron Hackett into the backfield and you know, selling some run action. They, they slipped him out for a touchdown. Um, I think Luke Benson going more 12, that they were able to get him on uh, some linebackers, and he had basically the speed of a 
you know, a wide receiver, straight line speed. Uh, he's able to get off the line and make some plays. So uh, I think they need to take a hard look at what they have. And for Sterling Gilbert, these are all first impressions. Uh, and then figure out what they can do. But it, those are all good questions. Uh, motion is definitely something I will keep an eye on when I start getting up for 10 minutes of practice viewing at 7.15 <laughs> on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, man, do not miss that. <laughs> No, no. It's better than nothing. Uh, Boston right. Boston College has, uh, I believe, open practices. They definitely have an open locker room this year under their new head coach after games. So uh, if you're considering it, Dino, it, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, all right, so uh, to me, the position group, and we've harped on them basically for the last year, that I've, I've got my eyes on first and foremost is the offensive line. I think Aaron Service is finally locked in at left tackle. I think that will solve some problems. To me, the question is, how much better can Carlos Veterello get? How much better can Matthew Bergeron get? And, and I actually think Dakota Davis was pretty good last year. He was hurt for some of it. Uh, you know, how much better can he get as well? To me, those guys unlock everything. Like, you want to talk about doing all these different things on offense. I, I think we learned last year, it almost doesn't matter what you – I mean, this is no secret to any football coach. It doesn't matter what you want to – try to do if you can't block up front if you can't execute your zone schemes if you can't give the quarterback three seconds even uh it's hard to do anything uh, you know what are you kind of looking from those guys this year julian particularly in the spring uh and what what kind of steps can actually be made in the spring like obviously you're not going live against other teams what what growth points are there internally for a group like that thing is the, the reps and the amount of time that you get uh, to watch film. Uh, the offensive line is one of those groups having lived with three linemen and then, you know, hanging, then being locker mates with two more. Uh, the thing I kept hearing over and over and over again, especially like during the spring periods or during fall camp was, oh, who's going to be our five? Who's going to be our five? Or early, especially early on in my career, like my freshman year, uh, and I would say my junior year as well, I guess, um, was, oh, we have these guys coming back. We're going to be set. And the, the idea was, oh, we have chemistry. Oh, we've got these guys already set. I know what the guy next to me is going to do. And that's a big factor on the offensive line, that chemistry up front, having experience, and then being and then once you had that experience and once you make it have that chemistry as well, uh, it's kind of like being a secondary where oh if I know where my safety is going to be I can play this coverage a certain way. It's very similar on the offensive line, especially when you're a zone blocking scheme because essentially it's like playing zone defense in basketball. You're just taking up a man, you're taking up a space, and that relies on knowing and having communication up front. And when you deal with someone regularly, especially if you got a set front five and you guys are constantly getting the same reps i think that really hurt syracuse last year because they're constantly rotating guys through trying to figure out who can work when you're constantly trying to implement new pieces to the puzzle and they don't quite work out it, it's hard to develop that chemistry i think that was part of the reason why syracuse's offensive line wasn't as good as we all would have liked it to have been uh, this year having guys who are in their set positions who know what they're supposed to do this spring it's an advantage because you get a day of practice, right? This is one of my favorite parts of the spring. It's a nerdy aspect of if you actually, if you like football, uh, you you have you get your day where you have practice, and then you got your off day, and you can come in and immediately address what you did wrong. You can go back over the film. You have a longer period with it. Uh, you get a chance to recover, and then boom, you're right back at it again on a Wednesday or Thursday. 
boom, you have a day off, maybe two days off, you're going over it, you're studying, you're reviewing, you're building chemistry alongside your teammates, boom, you're back on the field. So I think that this spring is really key for Syracuse and, and a great opportunity because you're going to have a lot of guys who are returning, having a set position, they know where they're supposed to be at. I don't think there's going to be very much flux on the offensive line this year. And I think guys, are once they get in, implemented, they're, they're going to be set. So this spring is going to be really key for the offensive line because – once you've got that chemistry and you get a chance to really develop and grow, um, I think Coach E has got these guys. They look like Division One, you know, top guys. Like they've, they've got the 6'5", 3'15", I was look at Virginia, LSU, and those guys. They had all the fat kids. We didn't. <laughs> Syracuse finally has fat kids, right? They've got, the physical, they've got the physical ability. It's just a matter of executing the scheme now. And that that's where these factors of uh, knowing what to do in your zone scheme, having that chemistry, being able to rely on your teammates. Hopefully these guys are eating together and having a good time. So my biggest thing for these guys, I think the spring is huge for them. It's just a matter of studying, spending time together, and growing as a unit because that offensive line, like you said, Stephen, if – you, if, if it falls apart, you can't do anything as as an offense. If you want to be a power run team, you can't block. You can't be a power run team. If you want to be a spread passing offense and you can't block, you can't be a, sp- a spread passing offense. So for this offensive line, for this offensive line this year, it's going to be very key that they develop that chemistry and find a way to uh, develop above the neck if they're going to be any good this year. Yeah, and, and the spring roster does show a few guys who who have gained weight, at least from what they were listed on the 2019 roster. Aaron Service, who who is probably someone every Syracuse fan wants to hear, is getting bigger. Is up about 20 pounds. Um, so he's, I mean, even out at left tackle, you know, he's he's really going to need that. Uh, Darius Tisdale, backup guard tackle, who may compete for a starting job this year, is up, I believe, 15, 15 or so pounds. And then Aaron Hackett, the, the starting tight end, uh, is up 12 or so. So three, two guys definitely who will be on the field playing key roles uh, have gotten bigger since last year. We obviously haven't gotten our first look at them, so uh, on Sunday I'll probably have a better feel for what guys are actually moving like and, and looking like and all of that stuff, but totally agree with you uh, about the size up front. Now the chemistry is really interesting because there's one guy who they brought in this offseason who could be a plug-and-play for Evan Adams, and, and then everyone gets to stay where they are, and that's Chris Bleich. He's the transfer guard from Florida, uh, pl- started, I believe, eight games last year as a redshirt freshman, appeared in four as a true freshman for the Gators, and has sent a waiver to the NCAA seeking immediate eligibility. We don't know all of the details of the waiver. Part of it is family hardship. I believe part of it is also him being forced to play through an injury at Florida. Chris has decided not to really give all the details right now. He's, he's waiting to hear what happens, and, you know, it's it's understandable. But if he is able to play, you can just put him in at guard, and, and you've got Service and Bergeron as your tackles, Veterello is back at center, and Dakota Davis is your other guard. But if you don't have Chris Bleich, then you got to make a decision. Is Patrick Davis ready to come in at guard? Uh, as a, I believe, a fourth-year player, a guy who's been uh, kind of a key reserve the last couple years but hasn't really seen significant action, versatile enough to play all the positions. Does, does Tisdale make a run at that spot? Uh, and, and how long do you spend trying to figure it out? Do you shuffle players? I, there's no logical shuffle that comes to mind for me, but we've obviously seen Dino Babers and Mike Cavanaugh have a willingness to move around anyone they think might create the best front five. 
We shall see. That's a big question. Uh, something we'll probably learn a little bit more about on Sunday, at least where Bleich is working to start. Uh, the last question I kind of have for the offense, I, frankly, I think the running backs group is going to sort itself out. Like, I think Abdullah Adams, Jawar Jordan, and Jarvion Howard will all play. We'll see who plays the most. It might be matchup-based. We've talked about Jawar a bunch of times. He needs to get the ball in his hands. Yeah. Abdullah may be the better every-down back, and, and Jarvion's kind of a power back. They have distinct... To me, skill sets, now they can be shuffled in a number of ways in a game plan. Wide receiver's a little different. We've seen enough of, of this offense, and maybe the offense is changing a little bit at Syracuse to know, they like to have a number one guy. They like to have someone where you're doing a half-field read, and, and this is the guy who's, who's going to get the first chance. This is the slot receiver who's going to get the first chance. You'd think it would be Taj Harris. Um, you know, What do you want to see from Taj this spring to kind of solidify that because clearly he is the most talented guy in the room. Yeah, so last year we saw a lot of whether it, it just seemed like the chemistry between between quarterback and receiver was off from the beginning of the season. Uh, whether that was overthrown balls where the receiver starts looking back <laughs> 15 <laughs> yards into his route, like, come on, dude, like, what are you doing? Um, the stop routes that fly over people's heads, um, just the missed balls out of the slot before the receiver turns. Um, it just seemed to be a chemistry issue up front. And whether that was a symptom of the offensive line, uh, a symptom of just not getting enough done during the summer, I don't know exactly what it was. Maybe uh, secondary just figured Syracuse scheme out. I'm not sure exactly what caused it and, and what percentage of each factor it was. But they, I think for Taj Harris this season, the number one thing for him is just the consistency. It's just a matter of running the right route being where you need to be, and being reliable for your quarterback. And then one, when, when that happens, you, know, you automatically become your favorite, your quarterback's favorite guy. Quick story, uh, when I was in high school, you know, my quarterback was Jacoby Brissett, you know, Colts starting quarterback right now, and Nick O'Leary, who was a tight end at Florida State, and I think he's now with the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Um, they, he was Nick didn't drop a pass for three years. I watched him every single day of practice. He never dropped a ball. And then during the summer, when we would, I was still playing receiver, we would go out, and I'm thinking I'll catch a couple balls, you know, try to get in good with because I wanted to be a receiver, get in good with Jacoby, and catch a few balls. He threw the Nick the whole time. <laughs> we were on the air, and, and and that was, but it was just because he knew I know he's going to be in this spot at this time. I don't have to worry about whether or not. Uh, he's going to catch the ball. I don't have to worry about uh, whether he'll adjust to this linebacker, this safety. I, I know where he's going to be. We're going to be on the same page. It's an easy, reliable read. I'm going there. It's, it's just it, it, For the quarterback, it's just an easier thought. You don't have to really uh, go through the complexity of the coverages. You just know I can go here with it because this guy's going to be there. It's built into the offense. This is where I want to go. It's the exact same thing for Syracuse this year on a much even easier level because it's the offense is built in a way where you're really only making one or two reads on one side of the field. So you see a linebacker drop down one way, you're going to the receiver behind them. If I know my favorite receiver is going to be right there every single time, it makes it that much easier as a quarterback to make that snap read and get the ball out inside of three seconds, whether you have a good offensive line or not. So, if I'm looking at Taj Harris this year, all I'm looking for is his consistent hands and then consistent routes where he's on page with his quarterback. Um, what separated a lot of number one receivers in the past, whether that was uh, at a towel back in 2016, uh, was it uh, Steve Ishmael the year after, Jamal Custis, uh, 
they had this ability to go up and go get the ball. You know, those times where they were covered and they could uncover themselves, that's what made each of those guys really special. And they had great moments where they won Syracuse football games like that. Uh, I can think of Jamal Cousins specifically with a 200-yard game against, I think it was like, what, Western Michigan, like their first yep. week or something. Season like, opener, yeah. Dino Baber said it was like an alien. <laughs> Yeah, he took, over, he took over the game as a receiver, and it was because he kept uncovering himself and breaking tackles and decided to go score two, three times. You know, if, if I haven't seen that out of Taj Harris yet. There's been times where he's flashed, um, but that's just a matter of developing the consistency that I think that he can finally gain. Uh, it, but once he gets to that consistent level and he can get on page with DeVito, um, I think they're boys. You know, when I used to be at Syracuse and I was on campus with those guys, I, they used to hang out together, which was a beautiful sight to see. It's like, oh, such a cute couple, right? <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I think they're boys, and I'm pretty sure they're, they're getting their reps in together. So um, the, it, it's just a matter of that consistency on offense for Taj. And then once you get to that level of, comfort and you kind of have your feel on the field that's when you begin to uncover and allow that athletic ability to come out and that's when you're going over top of corners that's when you're really separating in your routes that's when you start making those spectacular plays as a wide receiver so i just want to see those building blocks really come together for him this year because a lot of things happen to that offense where the chemistry fell apart but having or knowing that you should be a bit stable on that offense, much more stable on that offensive line. You've got a quarterback with experience who, who knows where to go with the football. He knows the offense. It's just a matter of being in the right spot and allowing your game to come to you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Tommy DeVito calls it looking at the pictures. you got to see the pictures the same. And yeah. uh, and they, obviously they didn't at times last year in the, in the body language. Sometimes got a little ugly, but you know when you're that close to someone, like you said, you're able to – maybe express some of that anger more openly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, they got to figure it out this spring because you know, I, I think everyone kind of expects Taj to step into that role. Uh, all right, let's go to some questions. We got a bunch of them. Uh, thanks as always, guys. James Austin, friend of the program. What redshirt freshman or freshman wide receiver uh, will have a chance to touch the field this year? Any word on the late addition from Canada definitely has great size uh, for the position. He's talking about Kevin Mattel or, or Mitel. I'm sorry, I'm not 100% on the pronunciation. I don't know how close he is to being ready. Dino Babers always says that the the Canadian guys sometimes take an extra year. Obviously, he's had a year, and, and, and wide receiver in this offense isn't necessarily the most difficult thing to learn. Um, I, I haven't necessarily heard that he is going to be playing imminently, but 6'1", 232, there aren't a lot of big-bodied receivers on this roster, and, and he is one of them. But if you're asking me, a freshman who I think is going to be ready to play this year, it's got to be Courtney Jackson. Uh, redshirt freshman, Played a little bit last year. They knew he was going to redshirt, that they had veteran slot receivers who they liked. Sean Riley obviously has graduated, and I think Courtney Jackson is a strong candidate to step into that role and, and maybe being the regular guy out there in four wide sets. Consistent hands, good speed. He, he really impressed last spring. Uh, obviously, it's different doing it in the games, but... If you're asking me who I think is going to get a shot, he's the first one. Uh, another question from James, uh, both a new offensive and defensive coordinator. Can you see any major position changes after spring ball? Um, hard to say before spring ball. Uh, is there anyone who jumps out to you, Julian, or uh, nothing that immediately comes to my mind? Uh, nothing immediately. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe. Is Culpepper. Um, he's gotten reps at tight end, correct? 
He has. Wow. He's also probably going to be the backup quarterback. Yeah, see, but, so that's, that's, but he squatted that's 580 the other day. 580! <laughs> oh, my God. And he's doing it in, like, a polo. It's, right. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason the quarterback needs to be squatting 580. So, I, if, if, if just without watching any football yet, uh, it, well, it's very likely, like you said, that he's, you know, the backup quarterback. Um, if anything, maybe a tight end opportunity there. But, um Nothing is immediately coming to mind. Usually, uh, you get into a few practice, and when it comes to um, position changes, you yeah, like I said, it usually it come. You get a few practices in, and you see what kind of depth you have already as a coach, and maybe sometimes you see it beforehand. And to make that decision, they say, "Hey, uh, we've got X amount of guys at wide receiver, X amount of guys at corner. Why don't you try this position now? Uh, you played it in high school a little bit, and we need some opportunity here." Um, and usually the freshmen catch the short end of the stick there um, where they find out that recruiting isn't all, uh, you know, roses where they'll get on campus being told they're a receiver and then find out they're actually a corner. So um, I've, I don't know if that's happened yet. I'm sure those conversations are being had um, as we speak. Um, and we'll come to see those uh, come the first day of spring practice. But uh, on the flip side of that, typically – a few days of spring goes by, and whether it's injuries or just evaluation, that's when you kind of see, okay, we think this guy may be a better fit here in this position, and that's when coaches start to move pieces around. Yeah, to me, wide receiver DB maybe has the numbers to do that. Alan Stutzinger yeah. came in as a running back. I think they always planned on moving him to corner. Um, Corey Winfield comes to mind as someone who did pretty well at corner after being moved over from slot receiver. I don't think they have the numbers in the trenches to do it, um, but we'll see what happens in, in spring ball. Uh, they will certainly learn the deficiencies that they have with their current personnel group, I think, within a few weeks. Uh, Daryl Albert, uh, does David Summers have a shot to be the number two this year? Uh, you know, I think he really struggled with his accuracy last year. That doesn't mean it can't happen. Um, right now, I think the staff trusts Rex Culpepper to, you know, to play within his game. Um, he started a game before, the, I believe, the end of his second year here against Boston College. I would be surprised if Rex Culpepper wasn't the backup given the current room, but there's 13 reps to go around, and David Summers, just based on the numbers, is going to get a chance. Uh, also, any insight on the location of the spring game? Frankly, not really. There's a lot of stuff bouncing around. I don't think any decision has really been made yet. I also wouldn't be surprised if we don't really have a spring game, so to speak, uh, they've been branding it as like a spring weekend or a spring showcase or, you know, for the last few years. So I think it'll probably be that and, and maybe with the dome unavailable due to renovations, even more so of just something pretty laid back potentially if you kind of have limitations based on your location. It's a great question. You know, we've all been asking it. And I, I think if there was an answer in place, more of us would know. <laughs> uh, Jeff Perrott. How do you go about installing a new offense or defense under the same head coach? Has there been classroom film time before this, or is this the is this day one? Day, the blah, 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 or is this the first day of camp, day one? Uh, I do know this. Um, during the off season, you're allowed a couple hours of film study. I looked this up the other night when I saw the question come in. So a little bit of work in the film room, but you can't do anything on the field that even you know resembles football. Uh, any kind of thoughts on the installation process, Julian, and any kind of leg up the guys might be able to get before spring starts? Um, yeah, usually uh, 
typically like you have a leader, um, your senior guy, whether it's or a junior who's been playing well, um, who gathers the guys before uh, spring practice starts, and you guys kind of sit together and you agree on what we need, to, what the group needs to improve on. They'll typically lead the group. Um, I'm not clear on the NCAA rules in terms of uh, when coaches are allowed to see players and at what times to go over what film. I can remember, um, I think it might have been the summer when there was a rule that was allowed where we had to start going to meetings uh, during the summer that were actually pretty helpful um, while annoying at the same time. Um, But for (laughs) spring practice, I think the key is that's when you really rely on your senior leadership, your older guys. Um, And you really want to have a guy who cared to study and knew how to study. Like That's where... uh, leadership really comes in and that's something that um i think in syracuse has been important i think that's why zaire franklin was so important to the program uh dungy getting uh devito ready uh just having guys who understand how to watch film what to look for and how to teach younger guys how to watch film and what they're looking for as well um this is an opportunity for guys to grow into uh leaders here i think taj harris has an opportunity with a bunch of young wide receivers uh this kid out of bell glade coming up in the spring mm-hmm. who i think has a lot of opportunities like six one, two hundred pounds yeah. javante yeah, williams he's he's fast williams. i've heard good things yes. yeah yes um he was somebody i just kind of heard you know listen to the palm beach county scene a little bit as someone who um had some ability so when you're a guy like Todd harris you want to take someone like that under your wing say hey this since you're coming in here's something that you can look at here's what we do here's what we go to uh here's you know just technical aspect something that he can think about um as a young player so it's really a key or a big key for senior leadership and older guys to take those younger guys under their wing um who are growing into sophomores and juniors and really help them develop into the players that they can be and that that's something that syracuse as a program i think uh needs to improve on especially if you're um, kind of one of those middling teams you really have to rely on those older guys who stuck around who's been there um, and it's, it's, it's a culture aspect that I hope Syracuse has because it's going to be important going into this season yeah I think they have guys at most position groups that are really ready for that uh, Tommy's going to be with the guy with the quarterbacks I mean obviously he's only yeah. got one year of starting experience Aaron Service certainly has been yeah. leading the O-line room for at least a year uh, I think Nikeem Johnson, along with Taj, has, has some leadership there. Uh, Aaron Hackett and Chris Elmore, for sure. Josh Black, McKinley Williams. Michael Jones has got to be the guy in the linebacker room, I, I guess, with Juan Wallace. That To me, that's the one room where I don't quite know, you know, if, if there's really someone quite ready to step into a leadership role. Not knocking any of those guys. It's just the nature of inexperience. Uh, yeah. And in the secondary, for sure, Andre Sisco and Trey Williams and Afatu Malafanu as well. But uh, Andre's really stepped into a, a bit of a leadership role in the last year, and, and deservedly so. Um, we're going to learn a little bit more about this, the, the aspect of how do you go about installing it under the same head coach. I think the defense kind of is going to not work on its own, but you know, Dino Babers doesn't know how to run the three three five. He went out and learned about the three three five the last few years and got someone to install it. Now, how he and Sterling Gilbert work together is going to be really interesting. Uh, I don't necessarily have any thoughts on it. I'm just interested to see it and ask Dino about it. And, uh, you know, he said Sterling's changed since they last worked together at Eastern Illinois in 2013, but he didn't really want to say too much more until, uh, you know, until they actually got into practices and, and, and you know, 
They'd only and you know. Yeah, go ahead. You know what would be the uh, the best part of spring practice this year? And I, I wish Syracuse like the laugh and everything that was cool. But what would be a really good and interesting little video clip would be the competition between offensive coordinator Dino Babers and the new defensive coordinator. Because one of my favorite parts of playing at Syracuse, and they're really the favorite parts of practice, used to be when Coach Schaefer was a defensive coordinator still and would go after Marone and the offensive coaches. Like, we're going to run the blitz. <laughs> That's supposed to blitz. Or just going after, you know, the competition aspect, uh, especially uh, with Coach Davis not really understanding three three five, or, you know, just not installing it himself. You know, as a defensive coordinator, there's an urge to naturally take advantage of that and do some things on your end to see what works, especially if you have a coach who doesn't really know uh, what you're coming with and what you're trying to do. So that competition aspect in the spring, I think, is going to be really interesting, but just between coordinators and head coach uh, getting familiar with each other. Yeah, I agree. I'm all for applying pressure. I will say maybe putting Anthony Red and Carlos Vettorello as your starting tackles against Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson last year wasn't the best idea as far as hampering the growth of the offense. I'm sure it was super entertaining, though. And, hey, to be on that defense, that would have been fun. Um, all right, let's keep going. Martin Ball, do you think Abdullah Adams is in for a big year? I thought he was disappointing last year. I thought he and Mo would complement each other nicely. Mo kept up his end of the bargain. Maybe Juwan and Abdullah are a good one-two punch. Um, I don't know if I think he's in for a big year. Like, I, I think he has all the tools to kind of be your early down back. Um, again, with that offensive line, no one was really in a position to succeed until the end of the year. Uh, even I thought I thought Mo ran harder at the end of the year and ran through some tackles toward the end of the year, and, and that aligned with some better blocking. Um, yeah, I, I think in a sense they complement each other, right? I, I think they do very different things well, and you know the Syracuse the Syracuse coaching staff will need to figure out how they want to balance that. And uh, you know we've only seen a little bit of Juwar, but what we've seen has been really impressive. So. Uh, how many times do you need to get him the ball? How can you get him the ball? It, it, is early down back something that makes sense for him within your larger plans for, for using your skill position players? Uh, we'll see. Um, I, I certainly think Abdul is going to continue playing, and, and I think if anyone is kind of competing with him for those early down roles, it's, it, that early down role, it's going to be Jarvion Howard. Uh, so we'll see. Trey Williams, I think. <laughs> oh, Trey, I, I think Trail Cisco and Effie can be the best secondary in the ACC. What do you think? Well, I think it's possible. I'm, I'm going to hand this one over to you, Julian. Uh, that's that's a that's a tall task. I will say Clemson loses uh, a couple of guys. Um, but they reload every year. There's there's talented secondaries ar- around the league. What do you think Syracuse has to be to kind of do this year to be in that conversation? Yeah, well, um, I humbly say I think this is the best secondary that Syracuse has had in uh, I don't know how long. Um, I think these guys are all very talented. Uh, I don't know what Trill Williams is going to be in that nickel role or if he's going to end up outside or what, how, how this – Three three five is structured and what guy plays where, but I do think that they have the opportunity to be a top three secondary, if not number one. Um, it's just a matter of how is this defense implemented. I mean, it's, it's all about the adjustment to this new scheme. Um, I can remember uh, my what was it out of my sophomore year going into junior um, we were, mind you, still in the same defense. It was Chuck Bullock, but we decided that year, 
we went from we were mostly a cover like we ran cover four but we played a lot of fire zone cover three defense right which it's just you know just playing your zones but the emphasis kind of changed a little bit going from my uh sophomore to junior year where the scheme changed a bit uh we started emphasizing different coverage principles um technique changed a bit we didn't mind you we did not change the defense but just minor adjustments within it um and the emphasis that changed inside of the defense changed our defense drastically i think we had a much better defense uh in 2013 than we did in 2014 uh mind you not that many players left uh, i think the only guy was like scroll which eh, he probably had an impact but um Secondary-wise, I think we were a much better team um, in 2013 rather than 2014 without much change or turnover. So um, it's all about how are you how are these guys adjust to the new technique, how they're being taught, are they coachable? And if that if all those things happen, if they really soak it up, become sponges, and allow their talent to play through, um, I don't see any reason why they can't be. I don't know how this 335 is going to be used, but if it's used in an effective way where you're asking guys to fly around, to blitz, to cover, uh, to attack receivers and go after the football rather than defend it, uh, I think that Syracuse has all of the ingredients to be one of the best secondaries in the ACC. I think Trill, Trill is one of the best corners out there. I think he's one of the best athletes Syracuse has ever had. Uh, thinking about Cisco, uh, I was – he amazes me at safety. Like he's, he's one of my favorite players to watch. I think he's going to be great for a long time uh, in the NFL. And then watching um, Iffy, I'm like, he has just as good, if not better, technique than Chris. And Chris is one of my favorite corners, not yeah. because he was my boy, just because of the way he played. Um, so there, there's so much talent and uh, such a degree of technique that all of these guys display that I think that they'll come in, coach will coach them out, and they'll soak it all in and then become one of the best defense secondaries uh, in the ACC. So, yeah, I, I, I believe in it. I want to see it. I don't know how these guys would adjust, but I, I have nothing to dispute the idea that they could be. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. And, and on paper, obviously, right, Andre Sisco has been as productive a defensive back as there's been in the last couple of years pretty much in college football. Uh yeah. Trill makes all kinds of plays. You know, to me, the question is, can you unlock those guys to do what they do best? And part of that is the the unit's understanding of the scheme. Part of it is the other two to three players around them, right? If he's got to stay healthy, and and it, it's not on him. I know he spent all of last off season and into the season extra time in the training room. He was doing all he could to to do preventative stuff, and his hamstring he he pulled it again. You know, if he. You know, hamstring is, is the tough injury. It's it's something that sometimes repeats. If he's out again, that makes it tough. And then you got the other guys back there. Eric Coley is probably going to be your other safety. Uh, and when you when you go when you have five DBs out there, which probably will be often, I would guess Alan Stritzinger is going to be the fifth guy. I think he had a rough rough some rough times last year getting beat, but I think he's also shown the staff a lot of good things. So. There's, and there'll be there'll be competition there for sure, but you need to be able to put Trail and Cisco in positions to to make plays, and the three three five has the potential to do that. But it depends on the people around them as well. So yeah, certainly not unreasonable. Um, regardless, those are going to be some really fun players to watch in the fall. Uh, Synergy recruit. Will we see Elmore more on the defensive line? 
Possibly. Um, you know, I'm really interested to see what they do. I think McKinley Williams is clearly going to be the, the number one nose tackle. Do yeah. they rotate Josh Black in there? Do Does Curtis Harper be the, become the number two guy? Is, does El, I don't know. Does Elmore mix in there? We'll see. You know, I don't. I, I think that Tony White is going to have to come in and look at his personnel and decide who he wants where, and, and that'll kind of dictate where they want Elmore. Um, so we'll see. Doc Vernald with uh, Kirk Martin as QB coach. What can DeVito expect from the new coach? Hard to say without them having met, you know, really done a, done a ton in person yet. Um, I think one of the really encouraging things is that Sterling Gilbert played quarterback in Division Two at Angelo State. But he's played the position. He's coached the position. Uh, I think he has a little more firm understanding of fundamentals and maybe the minor adjustments that can be made when a guy gets sacked 45 times in a year. Uh, so so I, know, I know that's good. Now the question is how much of his time is going to go to coordinating the offense and, and working with the other coaches. Uh, I don't know. I'm interested to see. But I think just that individual element of understanding the quarterback position – Frankly, as well as the offense, Stone Gilbert's worked with Dino before Kirk Martin came in with a blank slate two years ago. I, I think those two things will help. Uh, M. Wiseman, how many Heisman trophies do we think Jawar Jordan wins over the next few seasons? Well, he's got four chances. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll set the over-under at .5. Uh, but, hey, man, he definitely does things that we have not really seen skill position players on Syracuse doing a while, so I'm I'm excited to see what he can do. Like he's Dino Babers likes to say, I don't want to put a ceiling on something. I don't really know where to put a ceiling on Jawar Jordan. Obviously Heisman Trophy is, is extremely lofty for a team that didn't have really a consistent running game last year, but you know, because we've kind of only seen him in flashes, like it's hilarious, but you know, you really don't know what he's truly capable of. Uh, Rob Ackerman. I just hope the yeah. potential is there. That's all I care for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for Jesus, be their first Heisman candidate since Riley Dixon. So that'd be pretty <laughs> impressive. Exactly. Sorry, Sterling. Uh, Rob Ackerman. Are players looking to impress the new defensive coordinator? I think obviously the answer is yes. Uh, do you have any kind of insight there, Julian, on the mindset? Yeah, so I don't have any, like, stories where the first day someone's just like, you know what, forget this guy. I hate this coordinator. I'm never dealing with him again. But, no, you know what, actually, yes, I do. Uh, Quinte. Oh, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah, I can distinctly remember um, him having some slight beef with, um, oh, what was his name, the coordinator. George McDonald. Yeah, McDonald's a couple times. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, um, and I think they actually had a good relationship, and that's why they were able to argue the way they did. But, um, you know, outside of that, yeah, the first thing they tell you when you have a new coach coming in, they, like all the academic staff who used to play and everyone around the program is like, you want to make a good first impression. You want to make a good first impression. You want to make a good first impression. Um, so guys are working hard. Uh, they're showing up to meetings early. Uh, they know that, you know, making the right impression on a guy can impact your playing time and what kind of opportunities you get. You come in there and you're late to a meeting. You're the guy that's late to meetings for the next six months, you know. Uh, so you want to come in there and, you know, do put your best foot forward and do what needs to be done so that you are 
you know, not to put yourself in the good graces, but so that he has a good opinion of you, so that when he finally gets you on the field and, you know, sees some consistency from you, he, he has a position where he's saying, you know, I think this guy could actually help us, whether that's a, a backup that can contribute on special teams or, uh, you know, it just creates opportunities for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that's invaluable. But personally, I don't, I don't have any other experiences where I've just walked in on a guy. Uh, you know what? I'm lying. I am totally lying. I just thought about it. My first year with um, Don, Donnie Henderson, cornerbacks coach, uh, I came in there and uh, truly, true. I wanted to make a good impression. I truly did. Um, but I just did not adapt to college life well. And I've written about this before. Just came in late to a meeting once. I was the kid that was late to meetings. You know? So... <laughs> I think people try to avoid that, um, and for the most part, they do pretty well with you know making a good impression um, on their coaches. I got away with it that time because I was a freshman, and he's just like, oh, he's a dumb freshman. But was that Fred um, Fred Reed? Uh, no, hey, actually, no. My freshman year was was Henderson, uh, Donnie Henderson with Marone. Donnie um, Henderson, okay. Yeah, I mean, he was like the guy that he was a new coach too. So like, Keon made a bad first impression, which I thought was really funny. Like, Keon was. In my view at the time, like, the best corner on the team, um, I thought he was, like, you know, he had the size, and I thought he was an NFL corner um, as soon as I saw him. And then watching him play, I'm like, yeah, this guy's pretty good. But for whatever reason, like, he was hurt. And Coach Henderson was like, I don't like this guy. I don't know know if you were there yet. Um, No, it would have been just before I got there. Yeah, see, so, and then that year, uh, Brandon Reddish was rotating in. Like, he ended up ended up being Keon and Rashard as the two corners. But Brandon was rotating in. But he started all the way up until the first game because Henderson just had this weird beef with Keon the entire time uh, where he was <laughs> like, you, I don't like that you don't, you pretend that you're hurt, you're faking this injury. And Keon was like, I'm actually hurt. So, you know, the, Point being, sometimes, just for whatever reason, players and coaches just don't get along. But, you know, Keon ended up starting, I think, all 12 games that year. So, um, but yeah, every so often you get the funny story where a guy just, like, is, is late to a meeting the first time. And all of a sudden the coach thinks he's always later. He's always hurt. Um, so guys are trying not to have that opinion of themselves. So um, it's, it's funny to see, like, when you're there and inside of it. But... Um, from the outset, no. Most of the time, almost always, you're you're trying to make a good impression. I think that's you know applicable anywhere in life. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, to me, the linebackers are the group that circled there, right? You kind of maybe not you don't entirely know what you have in the secondary and up front, but most of the you have guys returning there who have played. Like oh. the linebackers, and Michael Jones is probably going to start, I think, but. Anyone could play in that room. Like, it is totally up for grabs. So, I, I think that group especially will be really important. Uh, a couple more questions. Anthony Mongo, Mangaluzo, what should be the expectations surrounding our offensive line group after working through a lot of growing pains last year? We covered that mostly. I, I mean, it's really hard to quantify expectations in the spring, but, like, how about hold your own against a defense that's installing a new system? Like, that would be a good start. Uh I mean, now they'll be seeing looks that they're probably not familiar with as well. So I think it's going to test them mentally. Uh, Carlos Veterello at center, you know, how, how his communication skills, how he's going to be seeing things that maybe he hasn't seen regularly in practice. Is he identifying them well? Are they communicating well? Those are some things that come to mind, but 
expectations is kind of a weird word in the spring. I, I think so much of it is, like you said, chemistry and then getting bigger and, and getting more technically proficient, which are kind of hard to judge, uh, frankly, from afar. Uh, last question, Q's Orange Man 44. Are Caleb Okachuku and Ed Hendricks full participants? It's hard to say until we get out to Sunday. I know Caleb's been posting a lot about uh, kind of him being cleared. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was still limited. He's been out for about a year with an illness. Um, so very exciting for him to be returning to football. Uh, it seems like it's been a really tough year for him. Um, but, but we'll see. You know, I, I suspect with anyone in a situation like that, you would ease them back in. And then Ed Hendricks has had, I believe, three leg injuries since getting here. Uh He's been in videos doing winter workouts. I believe I saw him squatting. Um, so, again, maybe someone who's limited to start, but you're hoping is actually maybe going to play uh, in the spring. But we'll see. Again, you know, we'll talk to Dino Babers on Sunday. Wh- whoever's in a green jersey or, or not practicing, we'll get asked about afterward, and uh, we'll actually have some hard information. Uh, so that's going to do it, guys. Thanks, as always, for listening. Be sure to uh, keep an eye out. We'll be putting up podcasts kind of throughout spring ball, and um, we'll, we'll have a lot more to talk about and digest as we actually learn what the new coordinators are doing. Uh, I think it's going to be a really exciting spring. So if you haven't already, please go subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on, and we'll catch you next time.